0: Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a keeper of the ground. Now, I'm certain, being only the two of them, that they had good times, and no doubt there were seasons where they learned the principle of synergy. They worked together, they assisted one another. They were brothers. They were brothers who, no doubt, uh, learned that. That synergy, working together, would accomplish more. That the power of four arms yielded greater than the power of two. That when they gathered their strength and garnered their ability, great things came of it. But they were very distinct in their, uh, in their work. They were very distinct in what they did. They were very distinct in their personalities. And, and we've come to learn that they were distinct in their spiritual efforts as well. When it came time to worship, there was a missing link with Cain. The covering of their parents, that physical covering that they carried on their bodies should have been an indication. The coat that they wore should have been a reminder that our worship requires our greatest gift. That our worship is a sacrifice that was instituted by God and without doubt and apparently it was continued by Adam in his life. And carried on not just by tradition but by dedication to his children. His boys learned that they needed to sacrifice. There was a memorial uh, about their sacrificial giving. Their salvation depended upon it. Their salvation was because of it. And so that simple gift of sacrifice was something that was given. And I believe that Cain acknowledged the cost of sacrifice, but Somewhere in his spirit or in his mind, he must have believed that the sweat on his brow could take place of the blood that would be shed. It says in Genesis chapter 4 that in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. It's one thing to have an ought with your brother, but it's another thing to have an ought with God. It's one thing to be offended by someone, but it's another thing to be offended by your Savior. There's something that happened in Cain's spirit. He became wroth, and his countenance fell. Maybe Cain had just looked at the effort required. Abel. Abel just lets the sheep graze. But I've got my fingers in the soil. I, I, I've, I've got the, the sweat on my brow to prove that this fruit that came from this cursed ground cost me something. I've got star, scars from the thorns and the thistles that have marked my body. I, I, I've got this pain that I've endured to bring this offering and that's not enough. It wasn't enough because Cain didn't understand the principle that God had applied that His worship wasn't something that he could work for. It was something that he had to offer. It it cost him something, but it was only an offering of blood that could push the the effect of sin forward. It required that offering. Cain's decision yielded great division, and it led to destruction. And God tells Cain, he said, Cain, if you do well, things are going to be all right. But he said, if you don't, sin lies at the door. And it That sin that lied at the door, it loves division among brethren. The sin that lied at the door loved that devastation that could come. The the sin that lied at the door of Cain's life, it waited there for him to make the wrong decision. It waited there for him to get a little harbor of hurt. It waited for him to kind of get that sting in his spirit that wouldn't just go away. It waited for that moment and then it would pounce. Cain. Cain, don't do wrong. There's great impact and effect from your actions and your activity. Can I remind us today that the enemy always fights true worship. And sometimes when we come in a room like this, it's easy to get lost in the shadows of someone else's praise. But God still requires something of you this morning. Can I just remind somebody today that that God's got us all here on mission because he's worthy of the praise that we just sang about? I wonder if someone is determined this morning that I'm not going to let somebody else take my place and I'm not going to let someone else take my position. I've got a right to praise him and I've got a responsibility to praise him. So I'm wondering if someone in the room would would just kind of lift your hand or lift your voice or or it may be all right if you just step to your feet for a moment and said, you know, God, I, I recognize that my testimony is powerful. I, I recognize that my praise is something that I get to offer you. I, I'm not going to let the enemy have a foothold in my life. I, I haven't come with a, a, any any obligation but I come with a, a celebration in my spirit. I, I've come to let God know he's worthy. This morning I I feel a little bit of praise rising in the room. Come on, I wish someone would just be determined this morning. I'm going to be able. I'm going to give them the very best that I've got. I, I'm not giving them the leftover of the week. In the beginning of this week, I'm letting God know. God, I'm giving you the very best that I've got. Hmm. Oh something that begins to move that's the power of sacrifice God sanctions it God blesses it God comes amongst it that's why he said I inhabit I move in the praises of my people (sighs) if we could just learn if we could just learn the power of our praise. If we could just learn the power of that sacrifice. I, I know, you know, the, the, the very moment when it feels the least natural and the least normal. The very moment that you come into service and it feels like this is the last day that I feel like lifting my hand. This is the worst day. This is, this is not my best day. It's in that moment that your praise becomes a greater sacrifice. The greater the challenge on this side, the, the greater the struggle on this side of your life, the greater the praise and sacrifice becomes on this side of your life the greater the enemy fights and he wars against you the greater the opportunity you have to let somebody know God's greater than the struggle God's greater than the problem I'm not gonna let an offense come between me and God I I just want him to know you're in control God you're in control of it all Uh, if if, if Cain had only known, if Cain could have just seen it, if he could have seen the effect and the the power of his actions, if Cain could have realized what could have been multiplied power became missed potential with a breakdown in brotherhood. It says that Cain in chapter four, verse eight, it says Cain talked. I looked the word up. It means loquaciously. That's a big word for me. I think that's more than two syllables. That's a lot more than I usually use. Um, the inference is that it was poetically, it was, it was soothing words, it was calming speech, it was anything but what Abel would have thought that was behind the conversation that Cain talked. He, he spent some time discussing with Abel, Abel had his guard down, Abel wasn't intending Cain to attack, Abel didn't know what was going to happen, and it said that when he, he spoke that way with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. The, the spirit of Cain was that of the opposition of true worship and sacrifice. Abel's true worship was met with Cain's true hatred. Abel's life was taken just because he offered an acceptable sacrifice. And, and death is never content with just one. Death, the enemy has already, uh, he, he's already caused Adam and Eve to live in the shadow of their sin. He's, he's already caused them to question their position and their place in God. He's, he's already allowed them to eat of that fruit without any hesitation, no, no ill effect in his spirit. The enemy's just desire for someone to experience death death is never content with just one. Think about it, that now Abel with his passing, the the dirt that Cain worked so effectively and efficiently, now gets turned over to bury his brother. And the blood of Abel, the scripture says, cries out from the ground to God. If Cain could only have known that the devil wouldn't be satisfied with just that, Cain, you started something in motion that you can't stop. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20, it says, death and destruction are never satisfied. The first murder was horrible. It was unjust. It was, it was just, you know, it was indicated there, there's a significant amount of real estate given in scripture to that story because God wants us to know the impact and the effect of our actions. The first murder as bad as it was, didn't stop. In only six generations from Cain, we find a man by the name of Lamech. His unchecked anger becomes a bragging point to his brides. He, he's, he's, he's worse than, than someone with road rage. Has anyone ever experienced some, someone with road rage? I mean, anyone, I'm not asking if that was you were the road rage guy. We'll save that for a little later. I unintentionally, I'll add that very, can I, did I say unintentionally? Let me remind you it's unintentional, this, this conversation, that what happened, I, I was coming out, coming out of Canada, Gibson Street, and, and I unintentionally, someone say unintentionally. unintentionally. I wasn't speeding, I was taking my time, it was early, Saturday morning, didn't anticipate this reaction from someone that was coming at a higher rate of speed than me when I came out onto Main Street I was coming off Canada Gibson, come on to Main Street and there's that yield sign in front of Dixie Lee and who knows, I may have been distracted. Because everybody knows I like a good feed of Dixie Lee. But it was too early for that, so I can't imagine, but without me knowing, without realizing what I did, I just kind of glanced in my rearview mirror and there was someone just inches from my bumper, their fist in the air. So I sped up to the normal speed, but apparently that wasn't fast enough. And so this person on the solid line of Main Street decides to pull out. I'm going the speed limit. He pulls out and he tramps down on the gas, and his car didn't have much gumption anyway. <laughs> Maybe that was why he was upset that he got slowed down and it was going to take him so long to get sped back up. And here he is trying to go by me on the main road. Thankfully it was Saturday morning. There weren't many cars that were coming. He I don't know how much of the story to tell. It's not in my notes, is it guys? Not in my notes, but they go by. He's going by. <laughs> I'm innocent. I'm innocent at this point. I'm innocent until this moment when he goes by and he's giving me that look. And when I probably, when I probably, God forgive me, I should have hit the brakes. but I just pressed the gas. (laughs) He looked straight ahead. Like he wasn't even there. Like the rattle trap and the muffler that was half off. (laughs) I did ease off and he went on by. Did some brake checks and I turned around because in case someone ever heard about that story, I feel bad. <laughs> I don't even know if I, <laughs> okay, I'll tell the rest. <laughs> he put the brakes on and, and, and truth is he stopped and then the door flung open. And, and that's when I thought, no, not today. I just turned around and drove the other way. <laughs> With a big smile and a wave. <laughs> if that was any of you, I apologize. I don't think it was. <clears throat> Anyhow, anger, anger. Anger can get the better part of us. I, I really wasn't upset. I was truly humored. But anger, anger can get the best of us in those moments, can't it? Anger, who knows? Who knows what piled on to the story before we get to it? Who knows what kind of day that guy on Main Street had had before we met in that unfortunate exchange, that yield sign, my ignorance or my poor skill. I I don't know, but here's what I know is that the the impact of that moment shouldn't have yielded that product. But that's what anger will do. Anger will take you further than you ever intended on going. Unchecked anger spirals quickly. And so Cain, his his life and his example is modeled in the next generation. And it's Lamech, it's six generations later that Cain's, Cain's example becomes normal and Cain's lifestyle becomes a part of what's expected and anticipated and, and Lamech he should have been humbled he should have he should have been confronted he should have been he should have been sorry and and he probably should have held his anger in check but he's allowed just to release it and and the Bible tells us NIV I'll read it there it says that Lamech he had this exchange with a young man and Lamech said to his wives he said listen to me hear my words, I have killed a man for wounding me. He said, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 70 times seven, and the lang story 77 times. And Lamech, his exchange here kind of indicates that he's proud, that he's arrogant, that he is, he's, he's lifting himself up because of his anger and his ability To kill. Now it's not something that's hidden. Now it's not something that's buried beneath the surface. And and, and God doesn't have to reveal it. Now it's celebrated. And now it's communicated with great rejoicing. I have killed a man for wounding me. The unchecked anger has great impact. And so we see that from generation to generation. The enemy's intention for death isn't removed. And it's not released. It's not even lessened. It's increased. Upon generation to generation. And Lamech has a son by the name of Tubal-Cain. Tubal-Cain is born and the Bible tells us that he was an instructor in the work of brass and iron. Genesis 4.22. And I don't know where it started. Somebody figured it out that when the fire was hot, metal was soft. And it could be formed and forged to become something strong. And that would be a wonderful gift if it was used for good. However, in this line of Lamech, that gift and that skill and that talent isn't used for good. It's used for evil. As a matter of fact, Tubal Cain's name literally means Cain's spices because he seasoned and enhanced the evil work of Cain. He he was a blacksmith, a skill when used for good, like I mentioned, it was, it was effective in saving time, building defense, maintaining equipment, or planting and harvesting crops. But when it was used for evil, Tubal Cain became the creator of weapons to kill. Just when it appeared that death was defeating life defiantly, God begins the work of righting the wrong. We've had six generations to see how humanity Handles this we have six generations to see how they react and respond to some body in the ground But but you know the enemy's never happy with just one dying. He's always intent on everybody losing life Tubal Cain he's working and he's boasting about his work of death He's become the, the the one with the ability to take life more efficiently. He's he's celebrating that he was the creator of weapons to kill Lamech's bloody line of boastful murderers is is going to continue until God is going to step on the scene. That's why it was so significant when Noah was there because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. While one generation and one line of lineage was intent and content with people losing their lives, there was one man who stood out to God, a man named Noah, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was from a different lineage. He was from a different line. He was of the line of Seth. He had salvation in his spirit. He had salvation in his bones. He had a desire to do good, to do right. Can I just remind you that sometimes against the backdrop of a world that is only content with somebody or or death or defeating the purpose of the church, God will always have someone in the wings waiting to step out and say, let me tell you a little bit about salvation. Let me tell you about a God that isn't content until somebody's alive. Let me tell you about a God that's greater than death. Let me tell you about a God that wants you to be victorious. Hmm. God. While Tubal Cain is burning the embers of the forge, creating one more weapon of destruction, God is preparing salvation for a people of promise. While Tubal Cain is boasting about the work of death, Noah is busy constructing a boat of life. God always has a plan of salvation. No matter how bad it gets, God has life in store for you today. Zachariah said it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord not day nor night but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Darkness won't always prevail. I I know that often we read Luke 17 and we should as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the son of man. We talk about how it was in the days of Noah that it's going to be like that in the end times and it will be. But don't forget that there's two sides of that equation. While there's Lamech and Tubal Cain and, and their lineage of murder, now we have Noah and a righteousness on this side and God's still going to have a boat that floats in this storm. You see that we're in the flood tide of evil that's coming our way. God has a plan of salvation. I just want someone to know that he's the saving God. He's a God of victory. He's a God of triumph. He's a God that has a church in the end time that's not going to be less than the church of Acts two. Going to be greater than the church of Acts 2. That means that just a thousand people or two thousand people added to the church daily, such as should be saved, is nothing for God in this day and in our generation. scripture that that God has that great plan God wiped that generation from off the face of the earth God wiped off Tubal Cain and Lamech's line and left Noah and his children and his sons with heirs of as heirs of promise he he had a rainbow in the sky saying I'm never going to destroy the earth like that again the promise of God was given to the people of God and and that entire generation of, of of murderers was wiped off the scene. And it would seem that from that point onward that that Israel really didn't put their, their trust in the efforts of man. As a matter of fact the scripture tells us that in 1 Samuel 13 that there was no smith, no blacksmith found throughout all the land of Israel. Israel seemed like since God's in control and they've watched him work through through Exodus and they've watched him work through Moses and Joshua there, there's battles that were fought and, and they never had to lift a sword and they never had to lift a spear it was just God he said march around Jericho uh, seven days one time and on the seventh day seven times and the wall's gonna fall and victory's going to come he, he brought his people into battle and the sword was never unleashed from the sheath he just allowed them come on to begin to sing a song of praise and the enemy was defeated I'm talking about a God, that's greater than whatever the blacksmith could create. They didn't need a blacksmith in their corner as long as they had God on their side. I'm talking about that kind of God today. In our generation, we need to know it's not bombs and guns that brings us the victory, it's the God of eternity that's working on our behalf today. There was. There was no Smith in Israel, and often we look at that scripture and how derelict that 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 it must have been on on Israel's side. They they didn't have any way to fight, they didn't have any ability to wage war. By human efforts, they 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 just didn't, they had no chance. But it was a, a constant reminder that God was in their corner. It was a constant reminder. It would appear that through scripture that this absence of the blacksmith in Israel was about a trust that the people had in God. I know in the natural, it seems that the nations that control weapons control the wars. And I don't have a political platform I'm pushing about arms and guns and good opinions. We'll leave it right there. But the blacksmith throughout history, right up until the 1900s, was... He was a cornerstone in the community. The blacksmith was, uh, he was there to, to help repair and fix things. And, and it is only in this modern age that the blacksmith has fallen out of favor. Our, our generation has developed a desire for the disposable. And I love antique stores because I get to see the nature of the way things used to be. The, the stuff was built so rugged, it's built to last, or at worst, if it broke, be repaired. Now it's disposable. But <clears throat> those tools that we find, I, I like it when it's, um, I like it when it's made in Canada or made in the USA or made in England, and it tells me that <clears throat> it's got a little bit of history. It's got a little bit of longevity. It's lasted for a little while longer than some of the new tools that we buy. No criticism. I'm just saying that. That, that, that often those tools were forged in fire by a blacksmith. It's Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He, <clears throat> he was the fireside poet, and he could likely not imagine a time when the blacksmith would fall out of favor. He wrote about the common community fixture in his poem called The Village Blacksmith. I won't quote it all, but let me give you a few, a few stanzas here. Uh, Under a spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy lies. The smith a mighty man is he with large and sinewy hands, and muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. His hair is crisp and black and long, his face is like a tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat, he earns whatever he can. He looks the whole world in the face, he owes, not any man. Week in, week out, from morn till night, you can hear his bellows blow. You can hear him swing his heavy sledge with measured beat and slow. Like a sexton ringing the village bell when the evening sun is low. Toiling, rejoicing, sorrowing, onward through life he goes. Each morning sees some task begin. Each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done. He's earned a night's repose. The idea to Henry that a village could be without a blacksmith was foreign. Even our tiny King's Landing both... Boasts its own smithy. And in my mind, it's one of the highlights of the tour if you go. So so if a little village wouldn't go without, imagine a nation, a people, a country without a blacksmith. Israel, wouldn't that be a priority for your protection? Wouldn't that be something that's required or needed? Shouldn't someone figure out this responsibility? But somehow that kind of got put to the sidelines because Israel began to realize or Israel understood that God was on her side. If God was on your side, you didn't need weapons of war. Isaiah understood what Israel misunderstood, and he caught what Israel missed. He said in Isaiah 54, verse 16, God speaking to Israel said, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. For I have created the waster to destroy. God's in control of it all. And sometimes when we look at the situation that our world is in, we're asking ourselves, how are we going to stay against this push and this thrust of the enemy? How are we going to wage this war that seems so apparent, apparently unfair? There is a tide, a flood tide of immorality that comes against the church. But church, can I remind us that God is on our side No matter what the enemy has created on his agenda with weapons of mass destruction for the church, the church can still have confidence that God is in control. If God could speak through Isaiah to Israel and say, I created the smith that blows on the coals of the fire. He said, he's in my hand. I'm in control of everything that he does. And can I just remind you that whatever agenda gets pushed in parliament, it doesn't matter because God still got his hand on the church. If we, only, if we really believe in the providence of God and we really believe that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it doesn't matter what agenda is created. It doesn't matter what gets passed in parliament. It doesn't matter what gets pushed by social media. It doesn't matter how difficult or opposing to the church it may seem. I just want someone to realize today, God's in control of it all. And if we just remind ourselves, whatever weapon the enemy's formed, whatever he's got in his hand, whatever his agenda is, our God is greater. God's still going to have a church that's going to rise in the end times. There's going to be a rapture and God's going to pull his people out. He's going to pull us up. If that spirit that dwells in it, come on, that same, spirit dwells in us it's going to quicken our mortal body I'm believing that God's in control of it all <laughs> come on I I know what it feels like it appears sometimes like the enemy's holding all the weapons in his hands and and it seems sometimes like defeat is imminent and the enemy's going to be triumphant but I just want to remind you God's got it all in control the very weapons that they've got in their hand formed by whoever God said that Whoever is in my hand. We can come back to the music. I'm preparing to close. I know what it feels like sometimes. I'm, I'm sure I, I understand what Moses must have felt like when he cast down his rod and it became a serpent. Yeah. Take that. Press the gas pedal. You know what he must have felt like in that moment of triumph? But when the Egyptian magicians did the same thing. God, wait, wait, wait. We got a corner on the market, don't we? But God wanted Moses to know that he was powerful and that God could use him. But Moses, don't put your confidence in that rod. Put your confidence in your God. Put your confidence in in God. It's not... It's not that stick that's going to make a difference. Put your confidence in God. And and it's here against this backdrop of concern. God uses Moses. Not just in a moment. God uses him progressively. And every single plague that God brought through Moses tore down another idol that Egypt worshiped systematically and carefully, one by one. Can I remind you that God is working for our good? In the moment that it seems like I thought we won the battle. I, why, why the plague? Why going through this journey? Why going through this difficulty if we're just going to get denied one more time? I'll tell you why. Because God's progressive and successively coming over the enemy. And when he's done, there's going to be nothing left for Egypt to stand on. There's going to be nothing left for them to trust in. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but they're going to trust in the name of the Lord their God. When they leave Egypt, they're going to know that God is in control. I just came with a word for someone today. It's already on the screen. Your enemy has no victory. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt them God has already proven that a stone and a sling can bring down the enemy David saw Goliath come on the battlefield and he was fully equipped Two. Two men were able to engage the enemy on that level of warfare. Saul and Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan, they, they had armor. They had sword, spear, and shield. They were the ones. Saul, Saul wouldn't, wouldn't use his sword. And Jonathan, maybe he, he couldn't. I, I, I don't know. But, but God didn't need the weapon of war. God didn't need what? What, what, you know, the the Philistines, they felt like their upper hand was because they had the blacksmith. They had what Israel didn't. They, they had that blacksmith in their corner. Every day that, that beating of the steel could be heard in their community. That, that, that blacksmith was always at work. He, he was a constant reminder of their strength. He was a constant reminder of their abilities. He, he was a constant reminder of everything that they put their faith in, their weapons of war. God didn't need a weapon. He just needed someone. He needed someone to come in the power of his name. He just needed someone. Someone, even though when David tried, tried that armor on, he said, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I haven't proved it. Saul, I'm sorry. I, I'm uncomfortable. I, I don't know how to operate in this realm. I, I, I'm not used to operating in this level of engagement. I, I'm, not used, I, I'm not used to it. I just got to go back to what I know. And, and we know that that was 1 Samuel 17. But if you, if you backed up one chapter, it was David. Is David that was called out of the field where he had been taking care of the sheep, and David was called, summoned there, his brothers stood, and Samuel was before them, and the oil flask of anointing was there, he's prepared to be poured out, and David he, he didn't have time to get his best garment on. He didn't have time to go find the best robe. He, he was brought out of the field into the, the center of his brothers. And Samuel lifted that flask of oil and it poured down over his head. And David, no doubt that that, that tunic that he wore that day, may, maybe it was the same tunic that, that he had on that day when Samuel had anointed him. And now now he stood and, and the anointed tunic was on the floor beside him. And he, he, he felt uncomfortable in Saul's armor. Saul, you're taller. You're bigger. You're larger. I don't fit. This doesn't fit on me and David, he just kind of wanted to get back into that place of anointing. He, he wanted to get back into that place that, that he knew where the power lied. He, he hadn't tried the armor out in the field but he had he had tried the tunic out out in the field. He, he had been there when the bear came and he had been there when the lion rushed in to take the, the sheep off the field. That, that, that armor of Saul and that armor of Jonathan, no doubt which had come from the field of the Philistines, didn't match the tunic. It looked stronger. It looked like it was greater. But David it said, I, I haven't proved them. You see, David saw something that that Saul didn't see. He saw something greater. That that anointed tunic, he just wanted to get it back on. He he, he had assurance, and, and it said that he had that shepherd's bag. The Bible's implicit when he said that he got down by the brook and he picked five stones out. He he didn't need a blacksmith, he just needed God to give him some direction. He didn't need come he didn't need steel and he didn't need armor he didn't need a big sword he didn't need a shield that would deflect the blows david said just just give me something i am familiar with just just give me something i know a little bit about give me give me the anointing church the anointing is always going to be greater than whatever the enemies got planned god didn't need someone oh." all dressed in the armor of the enemy God just needed someone with the power of the Covenant to be released I've got to let someone know today you don't have to fight that giant of death by yourself you don't have to do it by your by yourself there's an anointing that's in the room this morning I feel it right now as a matter of fact I I wonder if you would stand but just very carefully I'd ask there to be limited movement in and out because I feel there's an anointing ready to, to do a work here right now. I would someone just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost? Because that's what we need this morning. the enemy's made his boast he's uh, he's come to fight he's come to, he's come to wage war he's already, he's already laid the, the ground rules out he said, he said to Israel it was Goliath that said give me a man that will fight and if if he wins then we'll be your slaves but if we win you'll be ours and David understood that that the cause was greater than the cause because that's what he said to his brothers he said is there not a cause isn't there a reason that's bigger than bigger than this enemy is it wasn't it wasn't about that single battle that was going to be won in, in the front of people it was you know when, when Goliath issued that that big challenge Israel would would hide behind the rocks and they just kind of get undercover and and david he he just he just said is there not a cause so when when he when he stood before goliath he came understanding the cost but he also came understanding the cause ccc can i just talk to you for a moment this morning and uh, we'll make it evangelistic in just a minute but there is a cause that's worth fighting for today there's a reason that that we got to that we got to get our eyes off of the carnal armor and focus our attention on the spiritual armor that God challenges us to put on daily. There, there, there is so much happening in the supernatural realm that, that we can't afford a church to be hiding just at every moment that we hear a little challenge come from the enemy. We need, we need some people that will stand up and say, is there not a cause? Isn't I, I I believe there's something worth fighting for here. I, I I think there's something worth waging war in the supernatural realm about. I, I, it isn't just about uh, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning where we preach a sermon. It's it's about a warfare that happens in in your own home on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. There there's something that happens about the word of God getting its way into our spirit and in our heart, and, and it stands us up. And it's not it's not us. It's not human effort or engineering that's going to win the day. It's only come on. We're we're not coming with man's word or man's wisdom but we're coming in power and demonstration of the holy ghost that's that's what we're coming with that's the only thing we've got that's all we can stand on that's the only rock that we can rest in that that right there is what our world needs because if we come i'm I'm really not i'm not preaching about social agendas i am preaching about a church that needs to be on fire and engaged against the enemy of our of our, our world the cause is greater than the cost. It, it will cost us something. Cain, it's going to cost you something. Abel, you know you know what it costs. It costs something, but if you're willing, God's going to use you. God's going to, God's going to lift you up. God's going to elevate you. God's going to anoint you. And like David did, with that anointing, he marched onto the battlefield, and he declared the name of the Lord, and the enemy went down. Triumph. The enemy may have a corner on the weapons. The enemy may have the, the boast of the swords, the shields, and the spears. But there is a name. And there are people that know the power of the name. And, and we, we don't walk when we don't walk in our own ability, our own talent, our own gifting. But when we walk in the power of the Holy Ghost, and I'm praying that the anointing of God would rest in the room right now, because some shackles need to break today. Some yokes need to be destroyed today. And it isn't gonna happen in that natural realm. It, we, we can do everything we can in the natural realm to prepare, but it's going to happen in that supernatural realm. So intercessors, if you just begin praying, I'm going to open the altar in just a moment, but I just came with a final verse to remind everybody. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ come on we're not walking in the flesh we're not warring in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I, I'm wondering today if someone would just allow the Holy Ghost to pull down a stronghold in your life. I, I know you, the enemy, he's already lied to you long enough, and you believe that that stronghold's in place until the end of time. But I came to remind someone there is a greater God, the God who allowed whoever to make that stronghold is in control, and all you've got to do is allow his anointing to slip in the room and destroy that yoke of bondage and you can step out into God's liberty you can step out into God's freedom instead of death reigning you can step into life more abundantly today there is, come on there may be blacksmiths in the enemy's camp but we don't need them all we need is a David that will rise up and say God, just a little anointing to destroy the yoke of bond just an anointing that will break free Israel walked into victory that day Because somebody understood the cause was greater than the cost today. The enemy has no victory in this room. I wish someone would just begin to receive it for yourself, wherever you are, wherever you are, you just kind of make a determination, God, I'm coming out of this bondage that's helped me. It's helped me long enough. God, what I thought might be my destruction, I'm coming into life more abundantly. I, I, I'm letting the anointing. God, you, you didn't expect it. You're just like David in the field, but God summoned you. God's called you. He, he's, he's calling you out of the field. Come on into the place of anointing. And I wish someone would just kind of say, I, I'm receiving everything that God has for me this morning. I'll be willing to stand under that spout and let the oil flow over my life because I need the anointing of God. We're going to begin to sing i'm going to invite everybody to come and and we'll pray together in just a moment but but i just feel like there's some davids in the room that you've got your mind made up god i'm going to be someone that you can use i'm going to be so i i know what i know what my my friends may think right now i know what 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 my family may think right now but i'm coming through i i'm coming over i'm an overcomer this morning i i'm coming into victory i'm coming into triumph I wish someone would just kind of come would you would you come to the front of the the room for a moment and I know that's our custom but I wonder if you would just join us for a moment but but if in your mind you could just imagine that you're much like the David that slipped out of that field and came to that place of anointing because I believe that God wants to anoint and destroy yokes of bondage this morning. Just come that's all right we'll take a few moments but as you're coming I I pray that you begin to feel that anointing. I, I pray that his spirit will begin to surround you. I... Come on, Goliath's kept you in check long enough. Goliath's kept you in check long enough. I'm moving. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause this morning? Is the cause greater than the cost today? I believe it is. I believe it is. I wonder if you know someone that that's here praying, I wonder if you come and just join with them for a moment and I wonder if we'd agree together that God's going to release anointing in this room. I believe that, come on, yokes of bondage are going to be destroyed. Chains are going to fall. Addictions are going to be loosed. Triumph is going to move in where trouble once reigned. Come on, I wish someone would just begin to walk in that realm for a moment. Someone begin to believe that your victory is just a moment away, someone just begin to, you, you can already hear it, there's a rumbling in the supernatural realm, there's a stirring that's happening, there's this victory in the house this morning. Come on, lift your voice, child of God. God, let your anointing rest. God, see me this morning right here. I'm in the need of prayer. I'm in the need of anointing God. I'm in the need of your presence to move in. God, I'm in the need of seeing victory today.